Hey, good afternoon and welcome to another LinkedIn Live Friday afternoon podcast. And my guest today is the wonderful Susan Sykes. And I'm blessed to have Susan. Susan has been with Sandler uh, over nine years. Prior to that, she was a Sandler client. And Susan, just this week, has published a new book. And it's the latest from Sandler. And it's called Yes, You Can Take a Day Off, which is uh, timely coming to you on a Friday. So uh, this is Susan's book. And Susan, I am delighted that Susan can join me today. Susan, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. What a great um, opportunity. Well, uh, the pleasure's all mine. Tell me, I, I, I haven't, had, this is just out this week, so I have not had a chance to review it yet. So the timing of this is perfect. I'm <laughs> The message of, yes, you can take a day off, really resonated with me. Tell me a little bit of who it's for and what prompted you to write it. Sure. Thanks for asking that. So uh, who it's for is really, so I it's initially the book was written for entrepreneurs. But you know what? Salespeople need a day off too. So if you think about running your territory like a business, right? So these things still apply. But the book is really targeted toward that business owner who, and, and I'm sure it's the same for you. I hear it all the time where my clients come to me and they say, gosh, Susan, I, I've really been uh, struggling with my business. I've got a great business. Things are going well. But honestly, I just don't think I can take a day off or things might really get um upside down or I'll get so far behind. I work too hard to catch up. And so we, Dave Hyatt, my co-author and I really began to look at this and say, you know what, there's a lot of things that we have shared and we've experienced or our personal um, business ownership that we think would help people be able to maybe run their businesses in a way that gives them a little bit better work-life balance. Interesting on this topic is that a lot of people, when they write books, draw on a lot of research. I'm wondering how much of this was kind of semi-autobiographical in terms of you used your own experience, you and Dave, in terms of your own experience of that temptation to you know, stay later, uh, not take that day off. So great question. And um, I would say a lot of it is semi-autobiographical, right, as you put it. Um, in that Dave and I both have run businesses. We've had different, I've had a business prior to having Sandler. I had a different business in the technology space. And then of course, in our role in Sandler, we're always coaching and working with business owners. And so a lot of their stories are also incorporated into the book about, you know, the struggles that they have. And, and you know, normally it's not the day you start your business because there's a lot of excitement and passion around that. It's, two, three, four years in. And if you haven't really found a way to connect yourself to your passion, it can become tiring. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, every business owner at some point has gotten to that place where they're like, why in the world am I doing this? Hmm. I, I can certainly resonate with it for sure. Tell me a little bit about the fears and scares that people have that put them into this situation in the first place where they look at that book and they go, that's for me. So we identified three categories of what I'm going to call passion killers, nine traps that, excuse me, nine traps of uh, business owners often fall into. And they go into three different categories. The first category um, I identified as a um, passion killer trap. And that, um, and the second category is the category of a, com a communication killer. 
And then thirdly, it's the revenue killer, right? So all of these nine traps that we've identified fall into one of those three categories, but they're all basically based on a belief that doesn't in some way match up with reality. So when we think about, uh, you know, for example, a revenue killer trap that we're talking about is often this negative belief about sales. And I'm that an entrepreneur start a business because they're really good at a thing, whatever that thing may be. But you often hear them say something like, I'm not a natural born salesperson. Mm. Yeah. Talk, I want to take an angle for a moment, if you don't mind, on the business owner with this, because sales, sales are paid, let's say, 95. Now, I, we know that's not true, but business owners have this, in my mind, in spades because it's their business. There is no nine to five. There is no public holidays. I've often experienced this over the years where my wife would say to me, you realize Monday is a public holiday and I go, oh, really, is it? It just hadn't crossed my mind. Whereas if you work in a company, it can be quite different. And I'm not saying th these temptations don't exist, but I, from my experience, they exist in spades with business owners because they don't always have the structures and systems and processes in place to give them the confidence to take that day off. And I'm curious to know what you have in terms of solutions for people in that category. Yeah, so in that 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 falls into a couple of different things, but one of the uh, traps that that definitely identifies with is the trap of nobody can do it better than me, and that is the trap of the. As a business owner, we sometimes think, okay, well, it's faster for me just to do it myself than it is to teach someone else, or you know, I, I really I, I need to own this, right? And so we want to separate. The things that are what I'm, what we refer to in the book as your highest and best use, there are things that you as a business owner really need to be doing all the time. Those are things that are your highest and best use. However, if you fall into this trap of nobody can do anything better than me, that sort of belief, which doesn't line up with reality, then you don't invest time in training people, it, whether, whether we're talking about a bookkeeper or an administrative assistant or even your sales team, right? We wanna make sure that we create a culture of self-sufficiency. And so we give you some tools in the book to where you can begin to think about, okay, how, what areas do I need to look at that are my highest and best use? And how can I begin training and creating this culture of self-sufficiency with my team? so that I can build a process around me. And we actually take people through a, the seven step planning process for planning a business. So you'll want to make sure that as you read it, Paul, that you keep your worksheet handy because we have off, often we have times where we say, okay, grab your worksheet that you're working on your working document and answer these questions for yourself. I, I, there's two questions I have in mind and I don't know which one I want to ask you first. One of them <laughs> is how, how much does this, closely tie in with say organizational excellence the six p's as a structure a a, a framework for getting out of this trap mm -hmm. uh, so that let, let's go to that as the second question the first one is 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 probably uh easier in some respects is how much of the nobody else can do it as well as me how much of that is ego as in, I don't really want to find out that other people are better than me yeah. and how much of it is I'm just not aware of it because I haven't trained people up and I haven't even thought about it. 
So that's a really good question. And to be frank, I don't know if I know the answer. I guess it's different for each and every business owner, right? Where yeah. we sometimes think that nobody can do it besides us. Maybe that's because we don't trust people enough or we haven't invested the time and really just stepping back and thinking. And if we start, so I'm going to, I'm going to begin to answer the second part of your question. So as we start the book, we begin with those passion killers, the things that you as a leader want to think about so that you can have your direction. We talk about things like connecting your corporate vision with your personal vision. Like we talk about that a lot, but sometimes we don't talk about the leader themselves needs to have a personal vision and that really drives the corporate vision. So we want to start with the leader's personal vision and mission, use that to drive the corporate vision and mission. And so we, we help you work through that. And then our next thing is that kind of nobody does it better than me, Trap, right? So that we've talked about that a little bit. But, and then as we work through that, once we have the corporate, the, the personal, the leader's personal mission and vision set, and then we have the corporate mission and vision set, then we can begin moving into, okay, how does that translate then to our planning process? And how do we do that? And so to answer your question about the six Ps, we actually reference Dave Matson's book in our book. And we use those exact same steps and take somebody through once I've done my personal planning. Now, how do I, how do I actually plan my business growth? Right. Um, for sometimes some people are really good at planning. Um, if you're me and somebody hands you a blank, hands me a blank sheet of paper and says, make a plan. Wow. That's really hard. So I need somebody to kind of step me through how, what do I do when I make this plan? How do I do that? So we really build off of the things that you would learn in organizational excellence. Okay. And then from there, we're going to go on even further into how do we communicate to the market and how do we communicate to our employees? Okay. So it's, it's, it, there sounds to me like there's a, there's a lot of process, a lot of work rolling up your sleeves to, really make this happen that it's not just a it's not just a simple message hey take a day off but you have to work towards it yeah so i wish i had pixie dust that would make all of this work for all, every business owner out there but in my experience that hasn't that's not the case and normally when i'm working with a business owner who is struggling to you know their their business typically is running pretty well but there's a lot of stress there they're you know, there's often the cash pressure on cash flow, pressure on if I take a day off, you know, bad things are going to happen, right? Um, so what we want to do is create a business that allows it to operate without us being in every single moment of that business. So in other words, you know, it's kind of a almost an overused phrase, but it's really about how do you step back and take time working on your business? So that you're running your business rather than your business running you. You mentioned about people before, prior to kind of get rolling your sleeves up on the planning side is connecting your personal vision with the corporate vision. And I'm curious to know what that looks like, what, what a personal vision from the your own experience. What does that sound like? Because I don't know, and again, perhaps you could help me with this, how many people actually really even understand that? Have they taken the time to figure out, well, why do I do this? Other than the fact it's just habit and I, I fell into it 20 years ago. So um, I think that's one of the most important things that we can do, whether we're a business owner or 
you know, whatever we do. I have a, a deeply, I'm deeply committed to the belief that everybody leads somewhere, whether you're a soccer coach or whether you're, um, you know, leading in, in a classroom at school, you know, everybody leads somewhere. And so this idea, many, many people have referred to it over time as thinking about what's your why? What gets you out of bed in the morning? How do, you know, there's, I could, I could make a living from my family in lots of ways, but why do I choose to do it the way that I do it? And I will share with you that, um, you know, our colleague, Brad McDonald, shared with me a story many years ago um, about his journey as a nuclear submarine captain and how he took command of that submarine. And he developed something that he called a leadership compass. And it took me about, I'm going to say three, maybe four years to really work through this idea of what is my personal purpose and mission for my life, right? The first time I wrote down my mission statement, it was so lofty that I actually couldn't even remember it. And mm. so I just kept working on it. And it does, it is a journey. It's not something you come up with overnight. And, and the uh, big message that I want people to take away from this is, hey, if I don't have that personal, why do I get out of bed in the morning? Start working on it. And you don't mm. have to have it finished before you can start doing something else. Mm. Let it be a work in progress. Let it grow and change as you grow and change. Mm. I'd, I'd like to share something with you if you don't mind. And, 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 and while I have your expertise here, is to tease something out because I struggle with this. And if you were to ask me, say 10, 15 years ago, what's my why? It, it would be relatively easy as I have no other choice. I have to provide for the family. I have to pay for the mortgage so that there's, there's, there's no doubting there's now I, I know that your real why is has to be beyond that but it's hard to see past that. And mm -hmm. then years later, when the financial imperative is taken away, that's when I really struggled. Because when you have the pain of having to pay your mortgage every single month and your car payments and put food on the table, you, 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 there's no debating. It's, it's just, I have to do it. I have to do Take it. that yeah. away, and that's when you begin to struggle, as in, what am I really getting out of this? And, and I'm curious to know what your own thoughts on that journey are and yeah, just maybe help me make more sense of it. Yeah. So I think that that happens to a lot of entrepreneurs, especially after they've started a business, they're three, maybe four or five years into their business. And that passion starts to wane a bit because they are successful. They are, you know, okay financially. They're able to to make ends meet, maybe they're even doing very well financially. And then that's where they start to lose that idea of what, what's my passion? Why am I doing this? And so if you've already done it, if you've already done that work, then keeping it in front of you reminds you of, hey, this is why I'm connected to it. This is why I do it. If you and And it may change a little over time, right? It, it grows. We all grow. However, if you haven't done it, that's a great time to start because what we want to do is we want to reconnect us to that thing, whatever that thing is for each of us that gets us out of bed, that drives our passion and fuels our business so that it's a joy, the joy that we intended for it to be and not a, just something that I go and do every day. Mm. Yeah. I, 
I don't want to overkill this one in terms of spend. I don't want to spend. There's other areas I'd like to explore with you. Um, I'm thinking of somebody who told me that they do what they do because it keeps them out of trouble. They said if they didn't keep if they didn't keep busy with it, that the devil makes work for idle hands. They, you know, and and I didn't understand it at the time, and I I kind of do now. And I'm just wondering, does that fit into the category of a why? It doesn't sound very positive, but actually, it leads this person to leave lead a at least to understand why they do what they do, even though it might sound kind of negative. Well, you know, it's true that people move away from pain, as we know in Sandler. People move away or they avoid something that's mm. painful more quickly and easily than they move, move towards something that's pleasure. Mm. Right. So I think that that's probably definitely playing into that. I don't know the person that you're speaking of, but that definitely plays into it. If you really step back, though, you know, so that it can be because I, you know, I, I personally like to focus on what I want in life. It's, yeah. it's kind of yeah. like the, the golfer that focuses on not hitting the shot in the water. The ball always goes in the water. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I like to try to change that and think about, well, what is it that I want? What is it that for me? So for me, I don't mind sharing. My life's mission is to be a force for good. And I do that through my Sandler business. So I help other business owners um, and empower them to do good things in their business. So, but it took me years to write that down. That sounds so easy, but the part of our brain that's connected to this emotional, um, mm compelling reason doesn't have the capacity for language. So when we, when we write down a feeling, it somehow waters it down a little bit. So if you think about like love, for example, that's a feeling. But when we say the word love doesn't have much, you know, ring to it. Mm. So because there's that disconnect, it can take a while to really be able to articulate what your why your reason for getting out of bed. It can take a while to do that. So I encourage people just to start, start by just jotting down. I literally started with a, a sheet of, well, not a sheet of paper, but a word doc where I wrote down things that said things that bring me joy on one side. And on the other side, it was things that bring me down. <laughs> and so oh. I, I just began working at it and I worked on it a little bit every week until I got it to a point where I was ready to share. That's the other key point. Um, so many people go through this work of doing a um, mission statement, personal mission statement, and then they don't share it. And so in the book, we really talk about how to take this and turn it into your personal leadership document so that you can share it with your team and become what I call um, a leader that's a little bit easier to follow. I learned this lesson in a hard way as a young manager. Um, I was really excited for my first review. I talk about this in, in the book. I was excited for my first review. My projects was going well and I thought things I was going to get a great review. And I did for the most part. But my boss looked at me at the end of the review and he said something like, Susan, everything is great. We're happy with everything that's going on. But we did as a part of this, we asked your team to give us some feedback and they told us you were hard to work for. And I said, Oh, what did that mean? You know, did, did I, was I too bossy? What, what happened? And essentially kind of the short story is he wasn't able to really articulate to me what hard to work for meant. 
And I so appreciate that conversation because it set me on a path to really become a different kind of leader and understand. And now looking back, I understand that what that meant wasn't that my expectations were too high or that people didn't understand their KPIs. It's they didn't understand those softer skills that made it easier to communicate with me. They didn't really understand what things made me as their leader, um, let's say happy, right? And what, and I hadn't ever taught them how to make decisions. Like I would make decisions when I wasn't there. Mm. So that's really, and it's often overlooked. It's a very small little nuance, but um, it's a really important thing. If you want to inspire a, a culture of self-sufficiency. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to just spend a little bit of time on that in terms of the leadership lessons, because while I have you here, it's a topic that comes up again and again is that as people make that journey from rep to leader, that there's often a transition period where they, they struggle because nobody's taught them that those two jobs are very, very different. And they're, they're forced to kind of learn the hard way. And, 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 and I just wanted to, curious to know what yours were. I mean, you mentioned the fact that people said you, they found you hard to work with and that your boss wasn't able to define that. Um, how, how did you change precisely? You know, talk to me about the, the broader lessons and how you adapted to that to make you a better leader. So that was a long time ago. That was probably uh, 30 years ago now almost that that conversation took place. That's how much that stuck with me, right? And so it wasn't an overnight <laughs> journey, right? It really was something that I began to work on and I began to learn about, uh, you know, different leadership styles, what, what it meant to be a leader. Um, I, I always felt like I led, you know, just naturally. Some people just that way, they just lead naturally. And, but I really wanted, my father used to tell me, um, Susan, you're going to be a leader. Your your decision is whether you're going to be a good leader or a bad leader. And so I really began then to try to figure out what good leader means. And that became throughout you know the course of my life, just studying different books, reading different mm. topics, di different authors. Um, and really, I have to say, um, the leadership compass that we that we refer to in our book that was really originally developed by Brad McDonald was probably the best way that I've personally discovered to communicate those things to other people. Mm. It's not about the, the, the compass itself doesn't, um, it teaches you some things about yourself, but the most important mm. thing is it teaches you how to communicate yeah. to other people. This is how to be successful in my company. And if you think about that, really nobody takes a job and says, Hey, I'd love to be a complete failure at this job. <laughs> Yeah. Right? They want to know how to how to succeed. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, that's our job to teach them. I don't I don't know yeah. if that really answered your question. I can't point to a pivotal thing and say that was it for me. Yeah, it was really yeah. a journey. No, what, what you said is that it's a journey that there is no one thing. And I think that's an important uh, insight. Uh, there's a couple of other things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by what your father said to you, because if I think about my own relationship with my father, topic of leadership just didn't exist, never came up. I'm curious to know about your relationship with your father, uh, where, whereby that kind of conversation took place in the first place. Yeah, good question. So uh, my dad owned his own business. I grew up in a 
sort of a family of entrepreneurs, small business owners. Um, my father was one of those. And I think I just came out of the womb talking about how I was going to start a business. Um, I remember as a young kid, my father must have been so frustrated with me at times because I was always coming up with all these ideas that we needed to do as a business. I mean, really small, trying to talk him into building things like a neighborhood pool and we could charge 50 cents for everybody to come, you know, all those kinds of crazy mm -hmm. ideas. So um, part of that relationship was just because that was just how I'm naturally wired. I was always interested in business and always kind of wanted that and grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. I was also really close with my dad. And so we talked about a lot of things, whether it was business or leadership or, you know, uh, not getting in trouble on Saturday night. Right. So all of those kinds of things. So uh, that's why we would have those kinds of conversations. And he was a big influence on me and becoming a business owner. Mm. What, what do you say your personal traits that you have that you would have t recognized in him? Oh, um, I think we, he, yeah. my father died in 2001. And um, so he was very, but prior to his death, he was very playful. And so we were both very playful, um, never, uh, never unkind. I would like to think I'm not a, an unkind person, but I am a playful person. Um, there's also the traits of, you know, in Sandler, we, we are talking about dis style. And my father and I both were D, are DIs. So we have a lot of that in, or had a lot of that in common. Um, you know, we enjoyed a lot of the same things. Um, some of the traits maybe that um, he would say are not as good, but have served me well would, would be my, what he would like to call my stubbornness. I prefer to call it my persistence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned there the, the DI and the disc style, and for people who may not be familiar with it, I thought it might be useful to take a look at that and go back to the book and talk about, yes, you can take a day off. And I wanted to ask you, do you recognize certain styles in the personalities who struggle to take a day off versus those who don't? And, and But before you do that, you might just give a quick two minutes on what DI even means for those who are not familiar with it. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, in the, um, in our book, we talk about communicate like a leader and in Sandler, we, and we believe that it's my, it's the job of the person who is sending the message to make sure that it's sent in a way that the receiver can fully understand it. And so when we talk about disc, that's one communication style. And so the D stands for the dominant. That's somebody who typically speaks in bullet points. They're high direct communicators. The I is someone who is a high influencer. They're, they're typically very, both the D's and the I's typically tend, are typically extroverted. That doesn't mean always, but typically they're extroverted. I's are very concerned about the people that are going to be there. They're, they're the who. Right. They want to know who's coming along. If we think about the S's, those are the people that we call the steady relators. Um, those steady relators tend to be a little more process oriented than the I's and the D's. Not always, but often. And then our C's are, are what we would call our, con our conscientious thinkers or our cautious thinkers. And often they're very concerned about why we're doing things. What is it? Why is it that we're doing it? And, and those, they tend, both the S's and the C's tend to be a little bit more detail oriented. 
and the D's and the I's tend to be less detail oriented. Again, um, this is just communication style. Um, most people are a blend, so it's rare to find someone who's like all one or the other. But you can, so the point of understanding someone's style is to understand how they best receive a message so that I can adjust my message to them. Now, that's yeah. that. I forgot the second part of your question. Well, it's, 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 I want to relate it to the types of people who struggle to take a day off because if we're relating this to business owners, for example, you'll, at least in my experience, you'll see, you'll tend to see a greater number of D's and DI's in, in, in that community. And, and, and you'll know this certainly from the Sandler community, there seems to be a, a special pride of place for, take, for people who are kind of going, I'm a high eye. Like, how is that different from a regular one? And what does that even mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody kind of goes, well, I'm kind of a little bit of I and I'm a little bit of D. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this one, whatever it is. I'm all in. And, and so that kind of speaks to the typical personality of the business owner, the, the risk taker. And I was just curious to know if you found any correlation between the reluctance to take a day off. I can do this myself. I'm in control. I don't need help type of argument versus those who really want to take a day off but just don't know how. They haven't got the system, the, the people, the tools, the the departments, whatever in place. And uh, yeah, that's, I guess I yeah, just wanted so, to kind of see, was there a, a connect the dots? So um, that's a really good question and probably a great research topic. Um, but I, I'll answer more from my experience, right? So my experience is that um, all disc styles have the ability to be business owners and be very successful. So I don't think there's one style or the other that's better. It's just, mm. You tend to, if there's an extrovert in the room, you tend to see them, right? But mm -hmm. I know some very successful business owners that are introverted and um, are, you know, very, would rather not have the spotlight at all. So I don't find it so much have to do whether or not their, their ability or inability to take a day off having to do with their dis style as much as it is just not really having the processes in place to allow them to do that. Um, you know, one of my personal mentors for many, many years is what we in the, on the disc style would call a high CS, right? Both C highest, S second, really introverted, never wanted the spotlight, but ran a very successful multi-million dollar business. And, um, you know, just would rather not be out in front of everyone, right? And, and he worked all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it's just, you know, there was that sort of idea of nobody else can do it. I can't train somebody to do some of these things. And some of that really just stems from, hey, I need to take the time to train people to do some of these things. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have, funny, yeah, because my, my, my instinct would have been to look at the seeds as natural kind of process creators so mm -hmm. that they're able to create the process that other people can operate. But then again, it's not that simple because what you're saying is that I can create the process, but if I don't trust other people to operate that process as well as me, now I'm 
a servant to the process where the D type personality might just go process schmosses. Where's the, you know, let, let, let me add it. And, yeah. and, and I think that it's probably the, the, the blind spot for both of them is quite similar. The inability yeah. to let go and trust other people to do the job. Totally agree with you on that. And the other piece of that too, is to remember that just because I built a successful business, because I know how to do a thing, doesn't mean I know how to create all the processes in my business. You know, one that you and I deal with all the time is a hiring process, right? Mm -hmm. So typically people think they have a hiring process if they interview somebody three times. And we know that's just not really reliable, right? <laughs> so when you said that I had in mind, I had Dorothy in Kansas clicking her heels going. <laughs> <laughs> right. So sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. So yeah, I might have been yeah. really good at building this thing that has been successful at a biz as a business um, for me, but maybe I didn't really know how to how to create a hiring process, or maybe um, I've been the top revenue generator for my company for so long. I I just do what I do, and I don't know how to teach other people how to generate revenue. Um, yeah. I just show up and people buy from me. Right. So there is sort of that business owner magic that happens. And if you're the only one that can do that, then you're the only one that can do that. Mm. Both a good yeah. thing and a bad thing. Right. Yeah, it is. It's like, um, often trying to think of a good metaphor for this. It's business owners can often talk about the freedom of owning a business but it's as much of a trap as it is freedom if you don't know how to manage it. And I think what you're telling me is that this book exists in the gap between the promise of freedom of what the business can do for you personally and the reality of the business, which when you get, when, when, when you fall prey to these blind spots, you end up actually trapped with the illusion of freedom, but not the reality of freedom. And this book can help you kind of dig yourself out of that. I think that's a great way to state that. It really lives in that gap, that place where the business owner woke up and, tip, you know, I say woke up one day, but typically it's over a series of weeks and months. And they, and they really just say, why am I doing this? This is, this is not fun anymore. Or um, it's not as much fun anymore. And how do I, how do I get it back to being fun? And how do I, you know, I, I might've done it because I had to in the beginning, but I mm -hmm. wanted also to create some sort of legacy and some sort of um, joy in my life in some other area, but it seems to be robbing me of that. So mm -hmm. how do I get that, whether you want to say under control or how do I get that in, to a place where I can enjoy the freedom of business ownership and have, and, you know, I'm a both and person. So I believe you can enjoy the freedom of business ownership and have a profitable, um, great company and a great company that people love working with. And the other thing that we really talk about here is you as a business owner get to choose. You have the privilege of choosing how large you want your company to be. So if you want to be just a solopreneur, that is okay, but you still will need processes. You'll still need um, people that can do things for you, whether it's an administrative assistant, maybe an accountant, whatever that happens to be, you'll still need that. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I want to be a solopreneur and that's the kind of business I want. 
it's also okay if you say, I want to build a business that grows to, and one of my clients did, they grew a business to over a um, hundred million dollars and sold it. And they're out there saving the world today, doing something else, right? But that, so it's okay to have either goal, but you as a business owner get to choose that. And so whatever kind of company you want to create, create it and live, uh, live joyously with it. Yeah. Okay. So let's test this out. Yes, okay. you can take a day off. And that's my guest today, Susan Sykes, and Susan's book, and uh, co-written with Dave Hyatt, is yes, you can take a day off, escape the nine traps of growing your small business. Now you've taken a day off, Susan, what are you going to do with it? You personally, <laughs> by the way, I'm, I'm interested to know, you're now, you've got this day, what, what would you do with it? Well, so um, today I am actually off. I usually don't work on Fridays. <laughs> so I'm here just for you today. And um, later this afternoon, it's really warm here where I live today. And so I'm going to go work out. And um, other days I would probably, uh, my, we just bought a boat. So we're looking forward to spending some time on the lake. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, <laughs> okay, so Lake, whereabouts on the planet exactly are you? So I am in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. And there's a couple of lakes around here, a couple, an hour or so away. Lake Gasson is one that we spend some time on. And I've also, I grew up in East Tennessee. And it's, okay. uh, if you haven't been there before, it's surrounded by beautiful lakes, lots of beautiful lakes there. And so we, we also spend quite a bit of time there. Yeah. But that's, that's like the sunbelt. That's, that's pretty warm in the summer, right? Oh yeah. But today, of course we're, we have a, um, extreme heat today. And um, so, right away. um, like 98 with a heat index of like 108, it's awful oh, today. Wow. <laughs> That's, That's not normal, by the way. <laughs> 36 degrees, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's it's, no, it's even probably a little bit higher, maybe 38 degrees. Sorry, yeah. I'm just doing a quick mental, it, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, it, that's Fahrenheit, yeah, I should have said that. That's, and is it is humid with that as well, yeah, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> it's terrible. And and I will say that's not normal. Normally, you know, this time of year, we might be upper 80s, low 90s. It, it will have humidity, but it's not 108 normal. <laughs> I have to tell you this one. Okay, I'm going to have to do some quick, quick translations in my head. But here in Ireland, if the weather, the temperature goes, if the forecast for tomorrow, for example, was to go... Yeah, above 85, say, 90, there would be warnings on the news. There would be um, <laughs> weather warnings. Ops, I'm not kidding you, weather warnings, because we are not prepared for what happens is we just strip everything off and uh, sunstroke, sunburn. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, and you think at this stage we, we, we'd understand these things better, um, but I think just... <laughs> Well, you know, if it makes yeah, you feel like better, I'm that way when it snows. So I don't know what to do when it snows. <laughs> it gets cold. Yeah, we were, we pretty, again, we're very temperate, kind of a, we don't, I think the last time we got snow was maybe proper snow as in lasted more than a day would be at least 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Here now, again, mainland Europe, different story. Right. Um, they would get, you know, you have the, the Alps, the Dolomites, wherever you get cold, cold in the, in the, in the winter but no here we rarely get really cold weather rarely goes below freezing mm. but then on the other side rarely goes above 70 75 would be a, a nice day here oh that is nice yeah so, yeah 
But uh, so you're going to take this boat out on the lake. I am. We don't have it yet. We're waiting on it. But when we get okay. it, we will be out on the lake. For fishing or just for sitting there, bobbing up and down, drinking a beer? Both. So Both. I don't fish, but my husband likes to fish. So okay. he'll do the fishing and I'll do the bobbing. <laughs> I like I like it very good. And so, so that's nice. You don't have it. What else? What do you like to do to unwind? Uh, that's 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 nice, but you're not going out in the boat every day. Is there a hobby you have that you? Yeah. That so you um, my husband and I, we both love to drink wine. So we have we enjoy a good glass of wine and uh, right. going to wineries. And we do have a few here locally that we enjoy. Not local. About three hours from our house, we can make like a little day trip of it. Um, or you know, when we can travel, <laughs> we like to go to Napa and other places too. Travel is one of our favorite things, but naturally we're grounded like everyone else right now yeah I, I i was under the impression that people were traveling a lot more in the u.s these days no i think we are but with covid resurging i think some of those restrictions i don't know if the travel restrictions will come back but it's certainly um causing yeah. a great deal yeah I, I think people are putting themselves under self-restriction i see it with yeah. my own my brother and his wife live in florida and um they, she just contracted COVID last night, yesterday. Just tested oh, no. positive yesterday. Yeah, wow. I'm both foot, been fully vaccinated since March. And and it was from, well, they, they say it was travel. They went to visit a, one of their kids in Philadelphia. And so traveled by plane, came back, and, and they're ultra cautious, have not left their home. Now, I know Florida is blown up at the moment mm -hmm. uh, with COVID cases, but it's, yeah. And I can see that, that having an impact on people in terms of, I can travel, but you know, I'm not yeah. so sure that bottle of wine in Napa is worth it. I know. that's how, So we just, you know, have it shipped in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I hope that, you know, since she's vaccinated, hopefully she won't get too ill and everything will Fingers be crossed. Okay. Fingers crossed. I mean, there are a few other things they, they can do in terms of lying on her stomach and, you know, those kind of non-pharmacological interventions. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's worrying because she has a, a respiratory, she has COPD. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. She's, well, I certainly uh, hope she's okay. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Watching it closely now, it's as close as it's come to my family. Nobody else in my family has caught it. Uh, touch wood. But um, that's the one person I would not want to catch it. I, yeah. you know, I don't. Who wants it? But like, if I caught it, I sure. it wouldn't stress me out like it would her. There's no question. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Um, tell me a little bit. Just I'm just conscious of time, Susan. I've only got a couple of minutes left. We to to run before we have to wrap it up. Um, Couple of quick questions I like to ask people on these is your house is burning down and everybody's safe. If you got pets, your family, all safe. Your 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 phone and your computer, they're safe too, because people always say I'd run back in and get my phone. No, you wouldn't. It's a fire. Your house is burning down, but you can grab one thing. What would it be? Oh wow. One thing, um, my house is burning down. Everybody I love is safe. Yes. Um You know, I, that's a tough one. That's a really good question. I maybe it would be a bottle of wine. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm not. So a what? You can watch the house burning down. I guess I can <laughs> with a nice warm glass. <laughs> I don't have a lot of uh, possessions. I, pictures yeah. obviously are things that you always think yeah. of. Pictures, um, a lot of things that might not be um, digitally stored. Right. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. Seriously, on a serious note, I'd probably grab something like that. Um, yeah. 
on a fun note, I'd probably grab those and a bottle of wine on the way out the door. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's, there's a reoccurring theme here, Susan. <laughs> it's the bottle of wine. Very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, God bless wine, I tell you. What would we do without it? How would uh, we make it through? Yeah. Final question for you. You you are now welcome to the world of officially being an author. I, I presume that by the I should make that assumption. Is this your first book? It is. And, you know, I think if you ask my high school English teacher if she thought I would ever write a book, the answer would be absolutely not. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure that's not the first time you thought that in your head and you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to send a copy to her now and sign copy, let us say. What I wanted to ask you now that you've done this is imagine when your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? A Force for Good. Like that. Yeah, that's what you said earlier. Actually. And I meant to ask you, by the way, when you said it, but the kind of conversation went on a little bit. Help me understand what good means in that context for you, because I could imagine it could mean, depending on how you want to impact the world, you do it yeah, differently. Yeah, so actually there was a lot of thought that went into that simple statement of a be, to be a for, or continue to be a force for good. Um, mm -hmm. To me, the idea of being a force means that I'm not reactive, I'm proactive. So, and, I, and when you're proactive on something, you have a choice. Are you going to be a force proactively for something positive or something negative? So I chose to be a force for good. It also mm -hmm. is a reflection of my faith. So I'm a person of faith and I believe that God is good and that in being a force for good, I am being a force in, in his service as well. So that little statement took a long time to write. Well, that sounds like a great place to uh, wrap things up, Susan. I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. I can't wait to get my hands now on the book. Um, I, I, I like this idea of it being a like almost like a step ladder to get out of those holes that we find ourselves in where just work can get on top of you, life can get on top of you, that pressure of trying to perform. And, 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 and I can almost, I, I can feel it myself where it's like, I, I don't have time to, to, to work on getting out of this. I, I'm, I'm too busy. I'll, I'll think of that next year. But then, of course, next year never comes mm. because next year is now. And having this as a, as, a, as a way of saying step by step. And you mentioned that there's a number of tools in there that people can work. Yeah, some exercises you can do. A read. It's, it's actually a process. It's a read and it's some, some self-reflective work. And then the other thing, Paul, I just want to say before we hang up, before we go, is that throughout the book, we encourage the reader to work with a coach. Um, right. I'm, you know, you and I are coaches. We have, I have coaches. I'm sure you have coaches, right? And so we really encourage you to work with a coach or a trusted advisor as you go through this process. Yes, you can do it on your own, but it is so helpful to have someone who really cares about you to step in and kind of look into your life and say, yeah, I can, this, this really resonates. This sounds like you, I think you could help here. So Really, even though it gives you some things, tools you can definitely do on your own, I really want to encourage people out there to think about getting a coach or a trusted advisor to walk through it. We all yeah, need people yeah. to walk through this life with. Yeah, so so get the book, but but get a coach to help you implement 
what's the, the key the key insights in the book. There it is on on Amazon. You can see it there. So people can recognize it. Yes, you can take off a skip the nine traps of growing your small business. And I can see also there it's also on Kindle. So if people want to download it immediately, they can do that. You don't have to wait to get your copy. I I, I do love a, a one here, as you can see behind me as well, a physical copy. But um, sometimes when I can't wait to write uh, to get get the actual book, I'll get the Kindle copy as well. Yeah. So uh, superb. Susan, thank you so much for being my guest. I, thank I, you for having I'm me first. on. It's been a great time. I've enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. All right. Listen, take care and uh, have a great weekend and enjoy the boat. Thanks. <laughs>